The fact that we had four department-related people kill themselves over a 24-hour period is unprecedented on the Sheriff's Department. I'm talking about they are getting pre-scheduled, managed, forced overtime. And on top of that, if they don't have enough people, if you're getting out the door to go home, they'll draft you into another overtime spot. So 16-hour days every day. For, for how many days? From what I hear from folks, it is all the time. My guest today is Michael Boardman, a retired captain from the LA County Sheriff's Department who has served for over 30 years. Today, he'll share with us his perspective on the issues the Sheriff's Department is facing in Los Angeles. We also sit down with Cece Woods, who has been a reporter reporting on the LA Sheriff's Department for many years. She'll provide her insights based on the conversations she had had with people in the department. They can't afford to quit. They have to keep putting in their time because they have so much time invested in the department that they can't leave and go to another agency. Otherwise, they're gonna leave a lot of the money that they've already earned, so, or they have the ability to take with them when they retire. Folks are dropping like flies because they're frustrated, they're angry, they get mixed messages from the top. You don't ever hear about how great a cop did something or you know how they saved a, a kid or how they saved the day for somebody. All we're hearing nowadays is anti-cop, anti-law enforcement rhetoric. I'm sure you've seen it in the news. What comes up next? Next thing you know, they're protesting in front of East LA Station. Does anybody really want to know the truth? I'm Siamai Karami. Welcome to California Insider. Michael, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Michael, you're someone that's close to the LA Sheriff Department. You're a retired captain. Right. And um, we want to hear from you. There was four suicides in 24 hours recently in the department. Right. Can you tell us what's going on behind the scenes? Well, you know, you can't um, get into someone's head who has committed suicide, but the fact that we had four uh, department-related people kill themselves over a 24-hour period is unprecedented on the Sheriff's Department. And I, I understand that nationwide, um, the Sheriff's Department has in itself about 10% of the people who committed suicide this year so far. Um, from what I know from other sources is that it is directly related to um, the demands that are being placed on the officers today. And when I say demands, I'm talking about the fact that they are getting pre-scheduled managed, forced overtime. So overtime's already built into their schedule. And on top of that, if they don't have enough people, if you're getting out the door to go home, they'll draft you into another overtime spot. And I think that um, over time, you know, this, this problem has predated this past administration. I think it's gotten worse since then. But um, they just simply, there aren't enough people to fill all the spots and they're working their employees to death. That's what I see. Um, as an example, I, we have a, a kid, I call him a kid, he's probably in his 20s, but he lives with us. Um, he's, he's a renter in, in our house up north, and he works at the northern jail up there. And we never see him, never see the kid, because he's always working back-to-back -back doubles. Uh, I know that they actually have employees working back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back doubles. So that's 16, eight off, 16, eight off, 16, eight off. So 16 hour days every day for, for how many days a week? Well, if, if they do a back to back to back, that means that they're doing three doubles in a period where they work a double shift, they have eight hours off, they work a double shift, they have so eight hours off. So 16 hours, eight hours 16, off. 16, eight, 16, eight, 16. For, for, for how many days a week? Uh, from, from what I hear from folks, it is all the time. Wow. They are not getting a break. You know, they, they don't get to see their families. They don't get to recharge their batteries. Um, they, they don't, they can't even guarantee that their scheduled days off are going to remain their scheduled days off because there is just so much overtime being forced on them. And um, I think it's something that's untenable and it, it's, um, you're going to start seeing the chickens come home to roost, I think, because people are just exhausted. And, you know, sleep deprivation is a pretty terrible thing when it just keeps going on and on with no end in sight. 
And this is a very demanding and tough job, right? When you you're, when you're, can you explain to us what what does it mean, like when people are doing this job and not getting, what what does the day to day look like for? Well, I, I guess you have to separate out. You know, there's we have custody facilities where people are working in a relatively controlled custody environment, and they have a, a lot of backup generally. And then you have people who are in patrol. These are the people that respond to your calls. They re respond to crimes in progress, right? They respond to a myriad of things that are going on in the patrol area. And imagine if you go to work at, you know, six o'clock in the morning and you're still there 13, 14, 15 hours later in this job that is so demanding that not everybody can do it. And you know, we've got this, uh, this recent advent over the last couple of years of this anti-cop, defund the police movement, you know, anti-law enforcement. And it is a strain in itself just working a regular day. But then when you have this added impact of just being exhausted on duty, problems are gonna occur. You know, people, their judgment's not gonna be as good. They're probably not gonna be as insightful. They're not gonna be as tolerant of someone that's getting in their face. You know, it, it can lead to a lot of bad situations going on in patrol. Now, you, when you mentioned 16-hour days, so somebody going to work at 6 a.m. will get off at 10 p.m.? Well, somebody, yeah, they work, they work 6 to 2 and then 2 to 10, so they'll be working that whole shift. Wow. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's actually different clientele in the field also. You know, during day shift, it's more, more routine generally. I mean, you do have violent crimes occur, but when the sun goes down and the crooks come out, um, that's when you really have to be on your guard. And if you're fighting fatigue all the time, you know, um, how are you going to respond? So can you explain to us what the day looks like in people that are doing patrol when you were doing patrol or when others were doing? Well, when I did patrol, it was um, you have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Every day? Every day. You know, you, uh, you never know. That first stop you make might be someone who's an armed and dangerous felon who the last thing they want to do is go to jail. The last thing they want to do is cooperate with you. So, you know, when I was in patrol, you, you put on your uniform, you wear a bulletproof vest, you have at least one handgun on you. I would always carry another one in my back pocket. Um, for those odd situations, if you lose your gun or your gun jams or misfires, at least you've got something to help protect you. But if you're going to be a proactive policeman, which I think that's what people want, you're going to be out looking for things that are out of the ordinary, that things that need to be investigated. You're going to be snooping a little bit more. You're going to be driving down alleyways. You're going to pay attention to what people are doing, you know, when they're like cloistered somewhere hidden from view. and. Um, it can be emotionally charged, and I, I think that um, I was lucky in that back when I was in the early patrol days, there wasn't that much overtime, and the police, act, the police were actually liked by the community. Um, I, I think that, honestly, I think the majority of people out there are great people. They really support law enforcement, and the ones that don't are the ones that are getting all the airtime these days. You know, you don't ever hear about how great a cop did something or, you know, how they saved a, a kid or how they saved the day for somebody. All we're hearing nowadays is anti-cop, anti-law enforcement rhetoric. I'm sure you've seen it in the news. You know, they'll take a, a, an incident that occurs and, and blow it up like, you know, my God, these, these cops are out of control. Michael, to me, it, it just sounds a little bit uh, unbelievable that somebody will do 16 hour of work in this kind of, this is a very sensitive job, right? You, you're dealing with uh, tough people and sometimes you, you know, and you have the force, you know, and you have to deal with that. And 16 hours a day for as many days in a row, is that, do you hear from people that they're getting that? How, how oh yeah, you know, I, I, I hear it all the time. Well, like I said, just because I retired doesn't mean I don't care about my brothers and sisters in law enforcement. You know, um, if you cut my arm right now, I'd bleed tan and green, which is the color of the sheriff's department. That's how much I, I care about them, and, and they know that, and I hear stories. Um, there's another situation that takes place that's called carping, 
its cadre of administrative resource personnel, CARP. It'll take someone like a station detective who doesn't usually work patrol, force them out of their job and have them go work a patrol spot because they're so short of people. I know one station in particular, they're lucky if their detectives work two days a week on their cases. What do you think that does to crime and, and getting cases filed in LA County? You know, they work two days on what they're supposed to be doing and three days out pushing a radio car somewhere. You know, it's again, it's, it's just untenable and it's unrealistic to keep doing that. And f why is there this shortage? It wasn't like this, how long ago this shortage started? No, boy, you know, it's, it's been ongoing for a while. Like I said, it predates this administration. Um, I think the last administration um, continually got into little dust-ups with the Board of Supervisors. And if you remember, um, during the uh, defund the police movement, I think the Sheriff's Department was actually defunded or curtailed about $175 million. And they have not been able to fill the ranks. And, and when you add to that the fact that deputies on the department today do not feel supported by their current administration, um, you have people leaving in droves. You know, they'll, they'll go through the academy, they'll graduate, they'll get hammered with the suffocating overtime and drafting and carping with no relief in sight, no discernible um, plan coming from the top and they decide, you know what, the grass is greener over there. They're going to go to another law enforcement agency who is happy to take them because deputy sheriffs, when they get out of the academy, are probably the best trained law enforcement professionals in the country when they get out. So, you know, some agency, ins instead of spending like 125000 bucks just to recruit and get somebody trained, they'll go, this guy's free, I'll take him. And they know where they're coming from. They're coming from a great organization. But folks are dropping like flies because they're frustrated, they're angry. Um, they do not feel support coming from the top. They, they get mixed messages from the top. And um, they're young and they're giving up. So you mentioned they're frustrated and they're getting mixed messages from the top. So on top of the overtime, um, on top of the work schedule, yeah. what, what happens? The, what are these mis mixed messages? Um, there, there was, I know that there was a memo that just went out to deputies at a particular station that said the sheriff and that chief of that region were asking the deputies, hey, how do you think we get out of this? What, what should we do so we don't have so much overtime? And I thought, isn't that kind of like the general asking the troops how they're going to win the war? It's not their job. They're not equipped to, to be able to have those kind of answers. But on top of that, on that same day, they, get, they all got a memo from their scheduling person saying, guess what? We're adding more overtime to your scheduled shifts this month. So, gee, guys, how do we get rid of it? Oh, by the way, here's more. That, to me, is a mixed message. And then uh, there was a publicized incident. I believe it was in, I want to say Palmdale. It could have been Lancaster at a store called Winco. I don't know if you're aware of that one, but these deputies ended up confronting a, people, a couple of people who had stolen from the store, and the deputy, this female, wouldn't cooperate, and as the camera comes over, someone was shooting it on video. As the camera comes over, you see him taking the action of, of taking her to the ground, and what do we hear from the anti-police, anti-law enforcement, anti-sheriffs? Oh my God, this is horrible. These deputies need to pay and who was standing shoulder to shoulder with them saying it looked horrible LA County Sheriff himself what message does that send to the people that he's gonna make that type of uh, off-the-cuff decision a knee-jerk reaction to something that hasn't even been investigated yet you know I learned a long time ago I worked uh, a number of investigated jobs in, in my career and I learned early on until I know all the facts, I keep my trap shut. Because something that you'll look at, that you're saying, oh my God, what, what were those guys thinking? By the time you get all the facts and everything's known, you're like, those guys deserve a medal for what they did. You know, they, they took care of business, they, they got to go home that night, they followed policy, they did the right thing. But to have your leader 
and you know I have an issue with saying leader I think he's managing not leading but to, to have him come out immediately and stand shoulder to shoulder with that crowd what do you think that does for morale for the people what do you think that says for them being more proactive why would they even want to respond to a call if they're going to get second and triple guests like that you have been in the force yourself so what uh, if incidences like that wh what's the proper way of dealing with them what do you mean like if you're involved in the use of force yeah yeah well you know there's a scale because when they happen they actually um, when they're done wrong and the media covers them it's it's really sad to see it and it's like concerning for, for a lot of people right yeah, well, there's, there's, you know, there's a scale of force. It could be anything from resisted handcuffing to you have to act, actually take somebody out on the ground. You might have to end up shooting somebody. I mean, it runs this wide gamut of things, but the one thing that needs to be done if you don't do anything else is to gather all the facts, get all the information in hand, and know what you're talking about before you make any comments in public about it. I mean, you can have internal discussions, and that's what happens. You know, if, if you're involved in a use of force where somebody gets injured, it goes to a force review committee. The, the department has those policies in place, you know, and, and it, it'll go from that initial inquiry, and it'll go up to the commander, it'll go to the chief, um, and they'll make a determination once all the facts are in, all the facts are known. I don't see that happening today. The, the, you know, with these public incidents, and it's like they're being pointed out or judged for things that don't necessarily warrant that. You know, I, I, I applaud the people today for going to putting the badge on and putting the gun on and going out and doing the job, um, you know, under the circumstances they're in. I know that back when I was in, back in the good old days, right, um, there, there was a process it wasn't as detailed as it is now but it was always aimed at getting the truth behind what happened and um, you know it's just it's disconcerting to see what's going on today you know that that case that just happened in East LA where the two deputies driving by and they see this guy look like he's hiding something in his waistband and they go to contact him and it turns out he's a convicted felon and he's got a gun in his waistband and the deputies have to wrestle him to the ground. And, of course, instead of anyone stopping to help the deputies, they all take out their cameras and they video it. And the press was reporting it as being, this one deputy's got this guy in a chokehold, and the other one, you know, has punched him in the face. And I looked at it and I go, that's not even a, a real good headlock. It, it's the furthest thing from a chokehold that you can imagine, you know? chokehold, like a bar arm chokehold, you've got your head, your arm here, and then you've got the other hand forcing the windpipe to close, which we don't do, it's not, it's not authorized. Uh, or there's a carotid restraint where you try to get your arm around both the carotid uh, arteries. That wasn't going on either. The deputy had one hand, and it was basically on the guy's chin, and his, his other hand was up holding the guy's arm. The guy was not cooperating, and the other deputy was using what I consider to be a distractive technique because you could see the guy wouldn't give him his arm. So the deputy is like elbow in the face, punch in the face to distract him to get the guy to finally cooperate. But what happens with that? The press jumps on it immediately. Oh my God, they chokeholded this guy and he's, he's an amputee. You know, I, apparently he's got a prosthetic leg, right? Well, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Um, and his mom is even saying, well, he couldn't defend himself. He has a prosthetic leg. I know a deputy sheriff who's in the field right now with a prosthetic leg, pushing a radio car, working an assignment, training other deputies. He can defend himself just fine, thank you. But the difference between the two is the deputy is legally authorized to have the gun. The other guy who is a known convicted gang member in the neighborhood isn't supposed to have it. So. What comes up next? Next thing you know, they're protesting in front of East LA Station. Does anybody really want to know the truth? Or do they just want to protest because it's cops involved with taking somebody to jail? The murder of Deputy Klinkenbrunner. Um, you know, he's, he's stopped at a stoplight in his radio car. Um, he's coming on the end 
of a double shift, right? Yeah. So like 16 hour a day. He's, he's coming at the end of his 16 hour day. And even I understand he was has said before that these 16, 16, 16 things are just killers. They're killing morale and they're making the people too tired to do their jobs. Well, this murderer drives up next to him and shoots him with a 22 caliber pistol in the head and kills him. And this, I, I, I'm going to point this out. I know it's a little off, but when, when the sheriff comes out, he didn't even take the time to learn how to pronounce the deputy's name right. You look at the first interview that he does, and he's stumbling over this kid's name, and it's like, you didn't ask somebody how you spell this kid's name or how you pronounce it, you know, before you go in public? And then what's the next thing that happens? The DA of LA County comes out and says, we're gonna, we're gonna prosecute this to the fullest extent of the law. Well, if he would look in the penal code, the fullest extent of the law for the murder of a peace officer in the performance of his duty is death penalty. He didn't file it. He didn't file death penalty. And um, the family didn't even know that until he had them up there at his press conference saying that this is what he was going to do and he's not going to file the death penalty. Now I know that there's a moratorium on the death penalty in LA, right? in, the, in California. So what? So what? It's on the books. You've got a young kid who's not going to get married now. He's not going to have a family. You know, all of his brothers and sisters who are out there who know him have to go to his funeral. He's dead. He's a dead cop. We know who did it. And the district attorney won't file it. And what does our sheriff do? Nothing. Crickets chirping. Doesn't say a word. If I was a sheriff, I'd have been jumping up on this guy's desk and demanding that he file a death penalty case. But we didn't get that from the sheriff. There's a judge in L.A. County who has decided to extend the no-cash bail, and they've also expanded it to uh, other crimes. So basically, someone who used to have to pay a bail to get out is now getting out on a citation. And um, I believe as of yesterday or the day before, I think there are 19 cities that are suing in court to get that taken out. Now, again, if I was a sheriff of L.A. County, why wouldn't I jump up and be the leader of that? Doesn't it create a lot more work for the sheriff? Well, sure, well, sure it does, just in the fact that you're not, even, not the fact that you're just writing a whole bunch of citations, but you're writing a citation for a guy that's going to come back in the next day for the same crime. You've heard stories about guys that um, went out and, and stole a car, gets out, goes out and steals a car, gets out, comes back, does something else, back and forth and back and forth. And there is no accountability for committing a crime. And I, and I know the current administration talks about, um, you know, holding his personnel, the deputies, responsible and accountable. How about a little personal responsibility and accountability for what you do or don't do? Because what, what the sheriff didn't do with this no cash bail thing is, well, I know he went on a news channel and, uh, when they asked him about it, he said, well, we'll see how it works out. I'll tell you how it's going to work out, Sheriff. It already is. People are just going through a revolving door, getting arrested, getting a ticket, getting arrested, getting a ticket, getting arrested, getting a ticket. What does that say? How much you care about the folks in LA County that are having these crimes occur to them? So what do you think the impact would be on the average LA County residents? You know, we see, see, it seems like the Sheriff Department is overwhelmed with everybody. With is. All the agencies are overwhelmed by it because they're all facing the, the same thing. But I, I think that it would lead to what you're seeing now. People are afraid, not only on the streets or in the parks or in the stores, they're afraid in their own homes. They're getting followed home by people who rob them and beat them up. And, you know, some people will tell you, well, it's just a perception because this is down 1% or whatever. Well, it happens long enough, perception becomes reality. And, you know, you, you can't just brush off people's concerns and say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, things are actually better. I don't see that. I mean, it, think of all the rash of um, the mob 
burglaries of stores where they go into Nike and strip the walls. They go into Gucci and strip the walls. They go into a, you know, a Target and load it up with Christmas presents and just walk out the door with it. And what's being done? They catch these guys and they're just letting them go. So what is the average person going to think? I know that they even came out with, I think the department came out with a, like a PSA. This deputy goes, have a good holiday season, but remember when you shop, don't shop alone. Now, when has that ever been a reality in LA County? This year. You know, and, and like I said, I, I think that a lot of the issues facing law enforcement today um, existed to some extent with the last administration, but I only see it getting worse. And uh, like, like I said, I have a, a philosophy on, on leadership, and I think that the current administration is trying to manage a sheriff's department. You know, managers support the status quo. Managers make sure the widgets are where they belong. Managers make sure the french fries are tasty when you get them at a fast food restaurant. The sheriff's department doesn't need that. They need a leader. A leader is someone who's going to inspire the people to be better, to be the best law enforcement officers they can be. Um, a leader is going to make sure they have the equipment and the training and the education and the inspiration to, to do the best job they can. And, you know, leadership is, is grabbing an organization and pulling it into the future, right? Because another thing leaders do is they're forward thinkers. You got to be five, ten years down the road with this stuff. Um, law enforcement is historically kind of reactive when it comes to change because we just we follow the law. That's another thing I'll talk about too. Um, and you guys follow the law. You try to follow the law by the teeth because you know the law, right? That's well, yeah, we we follow it because that's also our job. You know, um, the the sheriff's department. People do not want or need a sheriff who is Republican, Democrat, independent, conservative, liberal, Green Party, doesn't matter. They need a sheriff. They deserve a sheriff who will enforce the law. That's what sheriffs do. They ensure that the laws are followed. They don't play politics. You know, they don't let their personal beliefs um, interfere with the decision-making process. If, if something's a crime, darn it, it's a crime. And you can have basic human compassion um, for the folks that sometimes commit these crimes because they're just, you know, drug-addled or drug-addled, uh, mental illness, and you take care of them in a different manner than you would somebody who's just a lifetime gangster, right? So, but enforce the law. That's, that's all we ask. And I, I, I'm fearful that this administration is playing more politics than law enforcement. Now, Michael, um, why are you being vocal about this? You have retired uh, while back. I know, right? Well, you know, I was, um, I kept quiet during the last administration. Um, and, but I, I, I saw what was going on there, and it's kind of like a different animal than what's going on now. But um, I, I think that the one thing I saw when this administration came in was they lowered the temperature in the room, you know. Every day with the other administration, somebody's squabbling with somebody, somebody's yelling at somebody, somebody's mad, somebody's using inflammatory rhetoric. Um, the sheriff doesn't do that. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll give him a, a little bit of time. But, but, but then I start hearing from people, I still know a lot of people on the department and, and people who have recently retired. And like I said, I still care about the sheriff's department. It wasn't a job and it wasn't a career it was my home and my family for 36 years I don't I'm not turning my back on them and when I when I start hearing the big thing that started coming up was the um, increased overtime the endless suffocating overtime that people are working that they aren't seeing their families they can't hardly think straight you expect them to go out and drive a radio car around you know safely 16 hours a day and deal with sensitive and things deal every with day. some some potentially very dangerous things yeah and um, then I, I I think what really got me after that was I saw a uh, video of 
the current sheriff lauding the fact that his career-long mentor is arguably the most despised district attorney in the history of the county of Los Angeles. Um, and it, at that point, I was like, you know what, I understand now. I understand why he's not standing up to the DA when he doesn't file uh, a death penalty case. I understand why he doesn't take a stand against the no-cash bail. I understand why he stands with the advocate groups that want to burn down deputies and, and accuse deputies and get them fired and relieved of duty. That is his mentor. He, he, said, he said it. He goes, he's been his mentor for all these years. And he's, sadly, I don't see him taking one step to do anything outside of what the district attorney is doing. And I, I just see that as a, as a violation of trust. And like I said, I don't want a sheriff who's going to play politics. I don't want a woke sheriff. And I don't want a crazy right sheriff. You know, I don't want to do anything other than be fair and consistent with enforcing the laws. You know, that's, that's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. And I don't see him doing that. I, I, I don't see any ability to step up and make things happen and support his people. You know, um, if, if you can't support your people, you, you sure as heck can't lead them. And you're not going to get their respect. And, and once lost, you're, you're never going to get that respect back. And that's what I see happening. So, Sisi, it's, it's great to talk to you. You have been observing the crime in L.A. going up as a reporter. You've been reporting on what's happening. And yeah. recently, the sheriff department, there was four suicides. Um, can you tell us what you see in the sheriff department? You've been reporting on the sheriff department for the last few years. What, what's happening there? As somebody who is friends with many of them in the department at all levels, from patrol deputies all the way up to chiefs, retired chiefs, uh, you know, current uh, executive staff, it's, it's in shambles. And I personally have heard from many different uh, members of the department that are just, they have no idea how they're gonna get out of this. And it's, it's very, it's scary is what it is. I, I've never been more scared for <clears throat> public safety ever than I am right now. And, and knowing that the largest sheriff's department, the most prestigious sheriff's department in the world is in a complete state of chaos. Now, based on these communications, you're talking to different people in this department. Yes. What are they telling you in terms of what, what is the biggest complaint? Overtime is the biggest problem right now. They can't function. On top of your daily eight-hour work schedule, plus commute times, because most deputies don't live close to their station. They live far away because they can't afford to live in you know Los Angeles County. A lot of them live outside of the county. So um, overtime is, is the biggest issue. The morale is in the toilet. And the reason why the morale is in the toilet is because they are not being supported by leadership. Leadership is, it, as I've written in multiple articles, uh, when there is an incident, a use of force incident, or whatever incident there is that deputies are involved in, it is prosecute first, investigate later. So they don't give them the benefit of the doubt. And the deputies are feeling that. They, they, they know that their leadership does not have their back. So on top of their leadership not having their back, then we've got uh, a, an all-out catastrophic level of crime in L.A. County. And they have to combat that crime knowing that most of the people that they arrest are going are gonna to go free anyway. And then they're operating on little to no sleep. And they can't properly... Uh, protect themselves. They can't be cognizant like they should be. They can't be aware like they should be. So uh, those are the main gripes. Uh, they just, 
they know that the executive level basically does not have a grip on the problems and the problems just get worse, they don't get better. And there's gonna be more. And, and that's why personnel is leaving at record paces out of the department. They are, just last week or two days ago, I heard about two, command, two more commanders that were gonna give two more years under the current, current administration. And now they said, don't, don't even look for us until, uh, don't even look for us after Christmas, we won't be back. So that's two more executive level positions that are gone, bye-bye, on top of all the other officers who are leaving on early retirement or uh, retirement, early retirement. They are transferring to other agencies. They are outright quitting and, or they are taking their own lives as evidenced earlier this month with the four suicides in 24 hours. Based on the letters you're getting, do you think that um, more and more people will quit the department? Oh the yeah, sheriff? absolutely. I, a lot of the personnel that I know, they're on very different levels, but a lot of them are at levels where they can't afford to quit. They have to keep putting in their time because they have so much time invested in the department that they can't leave and go to another agency. A, a lot of them are at that point so there's lots of personnel at that level where they can't leave the department, otherwise they're gonna leave a lot of the money that they've already earned. So, or they have the ability to take with them during retirement or when they retire. Um, but then, you know, there are a lot of them that are just saying this is not worth it. It's not worth their health. It's not worth, uh, it's just, it's not worth it. Find a new career. They have to find a new career. They have to move on, move to another state. A lot of them are moving to other states, for sure. So why should people care about that? I cared about the relationship between the Sheriff's Department and our community because I want to feel safe. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. You want to know your local law enforcement. You want to be able to count on them to take, to, to, to keep you safe, to keep your community safe. And uh, then there's your bad apples, they're in there. And that's why I report on them because they give the department a bad name. So when I find out about them, I put them on blast because I don't want them to tarnish the reputation and the hard work of the men and women of the department that have worked so hard for victims, for communities, just keeping us safe. And a lot of them do that. And that's, unfortunately, those, the, the negative stories overtake all the great work, uh, the homicide detectives and, and, and major crimes and, and victims, uh, you know, the, the special victims unit. It, those people do some amazing work and you don't hear about it enough. And uh, so I, I, I cautiously have faith. I pray we can turn it around. Now, Michael, being in your shoes, you were in, the, the, you were in this department and you were working in this role for over 30 years right. and seeing what you're seeing now, how does it feel to be in your shoes, what you're seeing? Uh, I would say frustration. Um, some of the things that I see are making me beyond frustrated to furious as far as um, I see it, and I'm not in that day-to-day -day radio car working all that overtime spot, but I see it, I hear it, and I know the people I know are seeing it and hearing it. And here's the two things they have to do. You have to stand up for your people. You, you have to lead your people and let them know, you know, leading by example. And you also have to make sure that the people of the County of Los Angeles understand what you're doing and that they know that you're trying your best to protect them. If you protect your people, your people are gonna wanna go out and protect the community. And that's, that's that deputy's job is to go protect the community, right? And, and I know um, by talking to a lot of folks, they, would, they don't even wanna answer radio calls. They won't make what we call observation arrests you know, where you see something wrong and you're going to go snoop into it because you're, you know, that sixth police sense that they say we have, which we do, by the way, and they won't do it. 
Because what are they going to do? They're going to go, somebody's going to fight with them. It's going to end up on somebody's video, and you're going to see snippets of that event. And you can get say, in trouble for it. They, right? You know, down with the deputy. And there's a whole lot of good people out there. I know that every organization has a percentage or a couple that uh, frankly don't belong in the job. And they, they, they ultimately get weeded out just through natural selection, you know, the way they, the way they carry themselves, they end up highlighting their, their deficiencies. But you're losing a lot of people on the department that would be good in the future, except now they're working San Bernardino or So Santa because uh, the department is losing the people, then they have to do overtime a lot of Well, it even it, it exacerbates an already bad situation. You know, they, uh, I know that uh, I was told in custody there was a period of time where they were being told to work 10 overtime spots a month. Um, I think that the one patrol station that I just heard about, they were doing four, I believe, and that's when the sheriff said, oh, can you guys tell us how to get out of it? And then the next memo comes out and says, oh, by the way, you got more. I think it went from four to six, you know, and, and every one of those spots is a person. You know, it's not just some number, just some automaton that's going to go out there and be RoboCop for you. It's a person. And, you know, they've got families, they've got lives. They, they want to be able to trust that when they have days off that they're going to get to take them. They don't. They can't. And now, what would you recommend? What's the best way to solve this? Is, is it solvable and is it quickly? It, you know, it, it's solvable. There's things you can do that are going to take time. Um, I think that uh, the sheriff needs to pound on the desk at the Board of Supervisors and demand the funding to get some academy classes going. Um, like I said, though, you know, just the process of going out and recruiting people and, and getting them trained is going to cost 125 grand for every person. And I think the department's down about 1,200 deputies right now. Do the math on that. I'm not smart enough to do that, but that's a lot just to get them graduated. Then they go um, to like a custody facility or courts, so that way those people can get out and go to patrol. So you're talking about a year from the time you get them recruited and trained and out where they can go out in the field. So that's a long-term thing that you can do. Uh, more short-term, uh, this might be controversial, but we've got a contract with uh, LA Metro, you know, the subway folks. Yeah. Well, it's pretty clear that they don't want us. Um, they, they, in their March of 2023 meeting that they held, they've decided that they want to reinitiate their own police agency so they can um, direct the culture as far as what they want to have those officers do. Um, and, and as part of that, they gave the, the CEO, uh, Stephanie Wiggins, I think her name is, they gave her the ability to re-up the contract with us a year at a time for three years. We well, you know what they're doing in that period of time. They're trying to figure out how to cut more and more law enforcement out and, and add these people, um, they call ambassadors, which are unarmed civilians, um, who in my opinion are just gonna end up calling us for help when they get into something. Um, but we created a bureau for that contract. And last I looked, there are 330 people in that bureau 290 of them are sworn peace officers. Cancel the Metro contract. Leave them to their own devices. You have to give them six months. And you take those 290 deputies and you plug them into patrol stations where they will be appreciated and loved by the civilians in the neighborhoods because they'll see more deputies on the street. Um, I, I, I don't know why the department feels the need to just sit around and wait for the inevitable. It's going to happen. I mean, I can see it, the writing's on the wall. They're going to they're gonna eventually do away with the contract. And maybe LAPD will want to pick it up. You know, they're, they have part of that contract, right? Um, that would be an expensive proposition for Metro, though. Uh, but um, drastic times call for drastic measures. I think other things you do is you might um, close or partially close a custody facility or two. I know that never feels right with people. But, you know, the Rutherford decision from the 70s um, made it so the sheriff can take drastic measures to make sure that conditions in the jails 
are constitutional in nature. Um, and if need be, um, take a facility like South Facility or, or you know, and mothball it or partially close it, take those deputies, and even within custody, they're having the same issues. So let's take central jail. You know, there's the old side and the new side. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I see they're both old side, but you know, I would take one of the sides and mothball it, shut it down, and use the vacancies that are created by that with the personnel who aren't working there anymore, filter them into the facility so they don't have as much overtime. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's things like that that, that are doable. Um, it's gonna take a will. You're, you're gonna have to take the chance. You're gonna tick off some people. But I feel that the department is so far beyond the, ticking, the, the tipping point right now that something dramatic has to be done. I, I don't see overtime getting any better, especially if we keep losing people. This, you know, watch what happens in March and April of this next year, which is our retirement season. You're going to lose between three and 600 people in retirement. And where, where are those bodies going to come to fill in behind them? You know, and um, custody could also, you know, we have a, an item called custody assistant that they aren't sworn peace officers, but they're, they were created to work in the jails. Well, I would probably, uh, I'd talk to the unions and get more custody assistance in the jails over and above. You know, they've got this matrix they use, like 40% custody assistance and 60% deputy or whatever. Raise that custody assistant thing up, put more deputies in the street, get, it, get them out of there, and uh, give the custody assistants a path to promotion. They don't really have one now. You know, they're, they're just as dedicated as our deputies are. They're just unsworn and they work in the jail facility. Make it so they can be a supervising CA, a sergeant CA, a lieutenant CA. Make, them, make, a, make a CA a captain of a facility, who cares? You know, if, if they're qualified and they know what they're doing, take those items and fill in where you've got vacancies now. It can be done, but it, it's a tough road. So you're mentioning yeah. leadership and you've been in this department, you were in this department for many years. What was it leadership back in the old days? You know, um, I joined when Peter Pitches was still the sheriff of LA County. And Sherman Block was the protege coming up. Um, both of those guys were consummate professionals. Um, they were not afraid to make a decision. They supported their people. Um, and they inspired you to do better. Um, I, uh, after, after Block passed away, we had Lee Baca, and Lee Baca had some quirks about him, but um, he, he led. He, you know, he, he took the department, what he considered to be his vision of the future of the department, you know, and uh, he, was a little, he was kinder and gentler, but you knew where he stood, and you respected him for being someone who was actually leading the troops. You know, then what? Then Lee uh, resigned because he was in trouble. Got John Scott, who was a temporary sheriff, and I'd known John for a long time, but he was a placeholder. You know, he came in as a lame duck, and uh, you know, he—I'd known him for years, um, coming through the ranks, and he was another guy you could trust him to be a reliable, thoughtful, progressive leader who wanted to make the department the best it could be. And you do that by making your people the best they can be. Um, then, uh, you know, then we had McDonald, Villanueva, and Luna. And uh, I think that um, McDonald and Villanueva had their issues. Um, but um, that I, I think that the, the, the real fall down came when this most recent administration came. Um, being a waiver for what you think about him, he, he was dynamic, he knew what he wanted, and uh, he wasn't afraid to piss some people off along the way, uh, which he did. And, and I, I honestly think that if he could have fine-tuned his message and cut down the inflammatory rhetoric, I think he'd still be sheriff today, better or worse. Um, but, you know, it, that didn't happen, and now we have gone from dynamic individual leadership 
to um, a manager, uh, more of a cold fish leadership who doesn't go out and inspire his folks. I, I you know, he, it seems like he's afraid or unwilling to give direction and set a tone and grab, grab the department by the collar and pull it into the future. Yeah, we're just sitting here in this morass. Um, after a year, I'd, I'm hard pressed to find one thing of substance that he's been able to accomplish. One thing. And, and because everything is tied into your people are tired, um, your people are leaving, um, your people are frustrated, your people are being maligned by certain portions of the public, and you're not saying anything. You know, it's good, bad, or indifferent. You know, most, virtually every deputy I know, um, they know what's right, they know what's wrong, they know how they're supposed to do their jobs, but sometimes a criminal element doesn't cooperate with you, how you know you're supposed to do your job. So sometimes um, you have to knock somebody down. You know, um, law enforcement is not a bunch of good-looking boys and girls passing out lollipops to the kids. Sometimes somebody has to kick that door and go in and face that armed intruder. And who's going to do that? You know, uh, there aren't a whole, lot of, a whole lot of people that sign up for that. But thankfully, there are a lot of people that, that sign up, that know what they're doing, they're not afraid, they'll do the job, and all they ask in return is the leadership to know what they're doing and the leadership to have their back. And they're not seeing that today. Michael Bornman, retired captain of LA County Sheriff. It was great to have you in California Insider. Thank you. It was great to be here. I appreciate it. If you like the show and our content, you should go to insiderca.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at cainsider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimesca.com. We would love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.